The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. And today in our study of the Ten Commandments, we come to the final message on the Fifth Commandment. And the Word of God says this in Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. In these past few weeks, we've learned that uh, this command is a bridge between the two tables of the law. And the key to that is the beginning word. It's the word honor. And that word, as we've learned, is the same as the word glory. And that's the word that connects these two principles, that we are to honor our parents as we honor God, that respect is due to our parents just as respect is due to God. And this command bridges these two concepts, teaching us that it's godly for us to respect our fellow man. The Bible says that we are to love God and we are to love our neighbor. And Jesus said, on these two commandments hang the whole table of the law. It is the support for all of the commandments. These two cover all that man is to do in his relationships with God and with his fellow man. And to be like God is to love others as God loves them. Well, at the top of our list of duties to our fellow man is the love and respect that's due to our parents. The child's first encounter that he has with his fellow man, with the human race, will be with his parents. They're they're the ones that introduce us into the world. And so it's imperative that our relationship with our parents be right because that is going to govern all the other relationships that will come into our lives in the later years. So all relationships follow this, and if a child is not raised rightly in the home, and if he's not taught to respect the authority of his parents, he's going to be in trouble. That sets the direction for all, and it bears, it will bear on the respect that he has for all other authorities. Now the destruction of the home has become anarchy in our country today. There is no discipline in the home. We find that there is no respect in our schools. Many teachers will testify that their classrooms are a zoo, that they have no way to control children. They can't get them to obey. And one of the reasons they can't is because the support mechanism for that has been taken away, and that is that parents support their children in their rebellion. And then from there it moves into the workplace. There's a lack of respect in our workplaces. Now you'll notice that employment laws are written entire, almost entirely in favor of employees so that a, a business owner is nearly helpless against the protest of those who work for him. And then from there it goes into government. You know, I, I'm amazed when I watch the news. Uh, in San Francisco there's so much property destruction, cars that are broken into, thievery and assaults on the streets that in some cases the police have stopped responding to them. They just can't keep up with it all. And so if you're a victim uh, of a crime in San Francisco, you may be on your own. San Francisco calls itself a sanctuary city. And we wonder what for? For those that are 
can be criminals without prosecution, mostly. So when police respond uh, to these things, they take their lives into their own hands. They may be killed in a routine traffic stop if they show up to uh, help someone uh, and they want to uh, try to stop some kind of suspicious activity. Their lives will be challenged and they might even be prosecuted themselves for trying to to bring some kind of swift justice or to, to bring justice to that particular situation. Recently, I spoke with a Roanoke Park police sergeant, and I, first of all, I thanked him for doing a very dangerous job. And he said that he'd been a policeman for 25 years, and he never imagined a time would come when the police were considered to be the enemy. And the danger of protecting us showed up in, in, in the fear that a police officer can't protect himself. When I was in Kentucky a, a few weeks ago, I pulled into my old neighborhood, and the first house that I passed, there was a sign in the yard that said, Police Lives Matter. What a sad state we're in when our country cries and moans for the criminal who hates authority. Now, folks, all of this is because of the breakdown of the home. It starts there. Every part of our society is affected by the home because the home is the building block of our society. There are plenty of statistics that, that show that uh, uh, in broken homes where there is no serious authority over children that those kinds of children are likely to become criminals. But as we look at this today, here's what I really need to point out to you now is that the past two weeks have been about the different types of authority that stem from this commandment or are supported by the commandment. And it isn't just the home that the Scripture talks about, but connected to the commandment is the respect for governmental authority, and we talked about pastoral authority and employment authority and, of course, parental authority. And the respect for other authorities does feed through the home. And so we looked at what children are supposed to do in order to respect their parents. So we talked about how they must speak well of their parents and how they are to behave well because of them. They're, uh, they're to obey them and to support them. And what we've done in these messages, it seems like, is to shove all the responsibility towards the child. But the point that we need to make today is, is that inherent in this command is also the responsibility of parents. That respect for authority is not born into the heart of a child. But to the contrary, we naturally resist authority. The depraved human heart makes us that way. And so a child's first words may indeed be mama or they may be dada, but surely the second word that a child learns is the word no. As soon as he discovers that there is an authority over him, he gets the word no, and that's when his self-will takes over. And his response to what his parents tell him to do is no. And you never have to teach a child to disobey. They pick that up on their own. There's no training required for disobedience. Now the hard part for a parent is that, and all of you know this to be, to be the hard part, the really hard part is to break that stubborn will of the child in order to make him too submissive. And uh, to be submissive. And there, and there is an art to doing that. There is an, there is an art to parenting and doing this in the right way. And of course, that's usually ruined by grandparents. But there is an art to it. Listen to what Paul's instructions are in Colossians 3. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And then it says, 
fathers, provoke not your children to, re- to anger, lest they be discouraged. So he says, children, obey your parents, but then fathers, be careful how you teach your children to obey. Now it's true, what you have to do, you have to break a child's stubborn will, but you have to be able to do that without being abusive. Don't break the will of the child to the point that he feels no love in the discipline that he gets. And so he thinks the only purpose of this is to punish me. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, don't provoke your children to anger. He says it this way in Ephesians 6 verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger. Now understand this, there's not a child that loves to be disciplined. The anger Paul speaks of here is the anger of despair. And that's when a child is struck or when he's uh, been, been told to obey and, he, and he's harmed. And in that learning experience, he sees no desire to correct for his good, but all that he sees is that form of punishment. And then Paul said, what you do is to nurture that child in the Lord. Teach him that obeying his parents is to obey God. To love our parents is to love God. And that's well-pleasing to the Lord. And anything that's well-pleasing to the Lord will be the best for them. Now I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I'm not going to read from this chapter, but I want you to notice that uh, it's a repetition of the Ten Commandments. Uh, This was spoken a little bit less than 40 years after the time of Exodus 20, when the, the law was first given. Deuteronomy means second law. And so before Israel entered into the promised land, Moses went back through the law a second time, giving an exposition of it and reminding them of what God said. Now, then if you look at chapter 6, after Moses went through the list of commandments that you see there in chapter 5, he begins chapter 6, verse number 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that the days may, thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Now note this, he says, if you will do this, you will increase in the land. And isn't that the promise that we had in the fifth commandment? Honor your father and your mother, and you will live long and prosper. Now then, if you look at verse number 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Those of you that are familiar with this passage know that this is called the Shema, that this is the core, the theme of Jewish and uh, morning and evening prayers to this very day. It begins, Hear, O Israel. And he says, you shall be diligent to teach these laws to your children. And why should you do it? 
It's because parents who know these things are not going to live forever. And so they have to teach their children these laws. The law can't die with them. The law must be passed on to the children from generation to generation, or else, he says, your land is going to be lost. The prosperity of the land will be lost. The next generation won't know. And the one after that will not know. And they won't be blessed. And they'll not prosper. And they will not respect authority if they're not taught these commands. And this is where we find ourselves today. The Bible, the commandments, is not in our homes. The Bible is foreign to most families. We no longer use the Ten Commandments as our guide. Our Christian homes have Bibles, but they're stuck on a shelf somewhere, and nobody knows where they are. I mean, it's, it's, it's harder to find the Bible than it is the TV remote that's buried in the couch. Nobody knows where the Bible is. There is no discipline in the home. There are no rules. There is no order. Our homes look like the world because of a constant diet of TV and video games, and we feed them the world and starve them of the Word of God. And so the Bible puts this charge to the parents. Teach them. Raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And do it diligently. And that means to be strict about it. To be faithful to it. Don't be distracted from it. Keep it up. Be relentless about it. Use the Bible as a guidebook for your home. Now let me add something. You know, I have a, I have a little bit of fun with Tabor now and then. Uh, he's very good-natured, and I would never say anything if he wasn't. But when I say something about him, it's in fun. But I do not want to diminish the value of his teaching of the children and the teenagers in our church. For years, he, he's taught in the children's church, and uh, he did teach there, and it was his solemn duty to give them the Word of God. Now he's followed them up to be teenagers, they can't seem to shake him, but now he's up there with the teenagers now. And that's a good thing, because now he's able to take them to a higher level of learning. And he's a good model for our class, our classes. Uh, in my conversations with him, Tabor comes many times seeking advice on ways to hone his teaching skills. And Tabor transfers what he does in his home for his children to your children. He's just a very good model for our church families. A few weeks ago, before the election, uh, I sent an email of encouragement to Christians, and we were in despair because of the choices that we had to make. But the letter was essentially to tell us that we don't need to be in despair because all of these things are in God's hands. In His wisdom, He establishes princes. He sets up and He tears down governments. The king and the president are in God's hands. And it warmed my heart when, when Tabor said, that he took that letter and he read it with his family and he discussed that letter with him, with them. And this is the thing that it takes. It's not that we sat down with the family and we watched three hours of sitcoms on TV. But we sat down with things like this and we discussed God's Word and we prayed together and we made the Lord God the God of our home. And this is what this command does. It puts that responsibility upon the parents. The children don't know these things. They're not going to come by them naturally. They're not going to learn to respect authority unless there's someone there to teach them to respect authority. Now, that's a lot of introduction to get us to the conclusion of our outline today. These, these comments lead me into the final things that I'd like to say on this fifth commandment. Uh, if we had had time in the forum class this morning, which we didn't, I, I intended 
to try to sum up some other areas about the fifth commandment that I don't have time to get into. But I didn't want to, I mean, there's so much here that we can't exhaust it. And, and I didn't want to spend another week or two talking about the fifth commandment because there are others. But there are these last two points that I would like to make today. And then we'll just finish our study of this commandment. And I'd like to look at our third point today. And that is the salvation that is included in this command. There is salvation in the command. Now, thus far, we've learned about the social issue, and we've discussed about the scope that's involved, and now we come to the salvation included. The Scripture says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. This is a command that has salvation blended into it. Paul wrote that this is the first commandment that has a promise. Now, love is the social issue. Obedience to many different authorities, that's the scope that's involved. Obedience to government, to pastors, to employers, to parents. The scope of the commandment is diverse. And the salvation in the command is found in the promise of prosperity in the land. That's an emblematic thing. That is a symbolic thing. It symbolizes all forms of blessings that are showered down by God upon faithfully obedient children. Now, we learned in the fourth commandment that the Bible says that there is a rest for the people of God. The Sabbath rest is for the people of God. And the Sabbath rest came to the children of Israel who were faithfully obedient. They would be obedient in the land and they would receive the rest that God would give them. Now, if you'll look back again in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you still have that open, Moses sets the people up to impose a warning for disobedience. Now, we notice how he does this in verses 10 and 11. He says, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of uh, good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full." God says, I'm going to provide for you in the land. They would get cities that they didn't build. And they would capture houses with storehouses of goods that they didn't stock. Wells with water that they didn't dig. Vineyards and olive trees would be ripe with fruits. And they didn't have to plant the orchards. God had miraculous blessings in mind for those that would obey. Now, the key to all of that was the keeping of the commandments that he gave. In verse 17, it says, Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee, and thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto their fathers. Now, all of this hinged upon... Their homes being repositories of God's word. This is what was required to see all the promises that God said that he would give them. Now, the theme, the theme today of our president-elect is, as you know, make America great again. I can tell you how that will happen. It's not a secret. It's here, found in the living word of God, possessed by millions of American households. The key to this of making America great again, is to make the family great again. 
Let, let the family, let the fathers return to teaching children to honor God and to honor their parents, and then America will be great again. We've got to do away with the immorality that's found in our families today. We've got to get rid of things like two male parenting and two female parenting that warps the minds of our children. Do away with the executive orders of the Obama administration that promoted unnatural gender, transgender equality, make sexual deviance a disgrace rather than a source of pride. Put the pieces of the home back together again, and that means male and female parents raising their children in the fear of the Lord. That's what it's going to take to make America great again getting rid of NAFTA, making NATO pay up, building walls against immigration, revising the tax code. Those things are only policies that mask and band-aid the real problem that we have. And the real problem that we have is the morality that exists in our land. That's the thing that has to change. And that has to change before God is going to make America great again. We've got to go back to the commandments. We've got to go back to what God says, or this country will never be great. Now let me give you some scriptures that, that speak of the consequences of disobedience. And, and I hardly need to give any examples because you're living this today. Everybody is frantic that the, the new president's going to destroy America. And all I can say is if we, if we went the way that we were going, it wasn't worth saving. Why, why do you want to save something that's on a headlong plunge into hell? And so I hope that God will bless. And I hope that Donald Trump will do something right. And the first thing that he can do, this is not my political speech, but it is my political speech. Give us a Supreme Court that will uphold the Constitution founded, first of all, in moral law. Don't give us a court that continues to rewrite the Constitution to our destruction. It was built upon principles of God's Word. Now this is what God says about this commandment. If you're still in Deuteronomy, let's go a few pages over to chapter 21. Deuteronomy 21 and... Verse number 18, a very surprising thing here that Moses says. Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, he will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of the city, and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones, that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. That's a tough law, isn't it? How many times would that have to be done for families to correct their ways? You take a stubborn, rebellious son and you stone him. Now what's that speaking of? Well, I don't want you to get the idea that Moses is telling families, you take your five and your six-year-old children that will not obey you, and you take them to the, the, the city square to the elders, and there you stone all your little children. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about a child abuse issue here. He's speaking of, of, of these older children who will not obey. So those of you in here that are teenagers today, you need to sit up and listen to this. When you get as big as your parents so that you can physically impose your will upon them 
and you will not obey them, these are the ones that Moses said, you shall be taken and stoned. Now, parents are rattled today. They can't control their teenagers. They, teenagers do what they want. They go what they, where they want. They, they do everything they want. They come and go as they please. And there's no enforcement against that. Parents can't do anything with them. Well, Moses has for us here an enforcement mechanism. He says, turn them over to the elders and stone them. Get that wart off of society is what he says. Stone them. Well, that's tough. That's extreme. And that gives you a clue as to what held up the social structure in Israel. Why did they do this? Because they knew as soon as they let go of good order, they would lose the prosperity of the land. Salvation would be over because their rebellious children would not keep God's commandments. And keeping God's commandments is the whole key to the longevity of the nation. This is why they keep the land, because they obey. So for the good of society, in order to maintain order, the rotten and the rebellious, who would prevent others from doing the right thing, that would ruin it for the rest, were to be taken and stoned. For the good of everybody, stone them. Did you know that principle of discipline is taught in the New Testament? It's even taught for the church. Now hear me out, I'm not talking about stoning bad church members. But 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6 says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that it will leaven, leaven the whole lump? Here's the principle that I'm talking about. He says a little bit of yeast in the batch is going to leaven all of the dough. Or a bad apple spoils the whole bunch. These are commandments that have tentacles that, that reach into all different levels of our relationships. Now as I looked at Deuteronomy 21, I thought, Oh my, 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 how language has changed. They shall stone them with stones. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. Everybody will hear and fear. In other words, God's saying that's an object lesson for you. When you punish in this way, that is a deterrent to others who would break the command. But look at that language. Stone them with stones. Now today our children are stoned, but not with stones. I mean, the dim-witted pitifully putrefied, numbskulled voters of California voted to stone our children. Have you seen some of these stoners? Have you ever met an intelligent one? Have you ever seen one with stained fingers that you thought, well, there's the hope for America. These, this is going to be great when they become leaders of our country. What a wonderful start on making America great again. Let's vote to stone them. Here's another view for you. Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. Is it any wonder that liberals hate the Bible? The Bible has their number. The biblical language is, you are a fool. You, you're, you're stupid. You're dumb dogs. No wonder they don't like the Bible. But then somebody comes along and said, well, Pastor Smith, what you're doing, you're reading out of the Old Testament. That's Old Testament stuff. That, that's the stuff that we don't pay attention to any longer. Jesus threw all of that out. Now it's peace, love, and harmony, man. It's live and let live, dude. Is that right? Is that, is that right? Well, let's, let's let Jesus speak for himself. Would it be okay if we let Jesus speak for himself? You know, there are many people who would tell you what Jesus said, but they have no idea what Jesus said. 
Did he have an opinion about what's said here in Deuteronomy? Oh, yes, he did. Matthew 15, verse 4. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. That is a direct exposition of Deuteronomy 21, and also of Leviticus 20, verse 9, which says, For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. That also exposits Proverbs 30, verse 17. We read it a moment ago. And also Proverbs 20, 20. Now that's a fortuitous number, 20, 20, because here's what 20, 20 says. Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. You know what that means? Knock his lights out. 20, 20 says, let him go blind. Reserve for him the blackness of darkness forever. And he's talking there about physical death and spiritual death in Hell. Folks, this is Jesus talking. Let him die the death. You don't want to get mushy about Jesus. You disobey his commandments and he's in favor of eternal destruction. Now is that enough to show you? There is salvation in the commandment. Obey him and you shall live. So here's the thrust of the teaching. Obey your parents and you will be rewarded. Disobedience brings a reward as well. The reward is death. The reward of obedience is life prosperity, happiness in the land. But you make a mistake with this. Make a mistake with this command and compound that mistake over many families and the land is lost. Obedience pleases God. And when God is pleased, He showers His blessings everywhere. Preserve the home and you preserve the country. The salvation included in the command is that last part, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now that's strange. Remember Paul said, this is the first commandment with the promise. And yet we read such great commandments that came before it. But here it says, this is the one that has a promise with it. The promise for obedience is stated here. Could we use some more instruction on that? Listen to this, this insightful quote. One of the primary reasons Judaism has survived across the years is precisely its family structure. The Jews survived the Holocaust and thousands of years of anti-Semitism because the Jewish family had a sense of identity and a sense of order. It doesn't matter where the family is on the Sabbath. When the Sabbath comes, they stop and pray. It didn't matter what Hitler and all the powers of Nazism said. When Passover came, it was time to tell the story. Even if the family was gathered in a concentration camp and there were no candles to light. There was sense of order and identity that gave them roots and strength and perspective and discipline. At the heart of that family structure was a reverence for parents, a high regard, a respect, an esteem for the older members of the family. The elderly were honored and cared for. Now let me give you just some final musings on this commandment. I've told you about Jesus' thoughts, how he supported it. He supported the consequences for disobeying it. He's God, and so he knows what follows disobedience. Jesus didn't need a psychological survey of a thousand different families to learn that, that strife and division in the family leads to stressed out people and shorter lives. He's God. And so he knows that homes that are filled with love and peace and happiness make people emotionally stable and less stressed and leads them to long life. 
He's the creator God. He knows all of that. He knows what's in man. He knows what will help you, and he knows what will bring you irreparable harm. And that brings me to the fourth, the fourth area, the last that we want to talk about, and that's the spiritual instruction that we have in this command. The spiritual instruction. Christ modeled the fifth commandment. So let's think about that for just a few minutes. He modeled the fifth commandment. He's the perfect man. He's God in the flesh. He will be eternally manifested as God in the flesh. He'll have a perfect human body forever. He is the second Adam that came from above. And throughout all of eternity, he will be the perfect man. In his life, he kept all the commandments perfectly. And you're saved because of that fact. If he hadn't kept them perfectly, you couldn't be saved. But because he is perfect, he would be the perfect model of the fifth commandment. Now, I want to show that to you and in two ways. And both of them are extremely important for your salvation. First, he was perfectly obedient as a human son. The obedience of a human son. Now, take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 2. There isn't much said in the Bible about Jesus' childhood. And I want to caution you about those who claim that they have other sources about the life of Jesus. The fanciful stories that you read about Jesus' childhood from other places are exactly that. They are fanciful. There, there's no such thing, uh, no reliable information that tells us that Jesus healed the wings of broken baby birds or that Jesus helped poor children, starving children, and healed them. There is no historical basis for any stories like that about Jesus. The Bible is the only inspired record that we have of his, of his life. And all the information that we have, in the, uh, have is contained in this one source. I mean, historically, there are allusions to Jesus in other places, but there aren't any personal accounts of interaction with Jesus except what we read in the Bible. Now, we do know that what... Jesus did in his early life was typical of his entire life. So what little bit that we can read in the Bible gives us an indication of what he was like as a child. Now look at verse number 39 in chapter 2. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now this was after his birth. He was circumcised, he was born, he was circumcised. He was taken to the temple when he was eight days old, according to the law. And then it says that he grew in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. From Luke 2, 2.39 to Luke 2.40, 12 years passed in the life of Jesus. And there's only, or, or the 30 years rather, passed in the life of Jesus. Only one, there's only one story hear about his childhood in, that, in, that, in those, all those years. From eight days old to 30 years old, only one story about Jesus is in the Bible. At 12 years old, his parents took him to the temple in Jerusalem for Passover. Now, godly parents do godly things for their children. They taught him the Word of God, and they taught him to be obedient to the Scriptures. Now, now during this, this trip to Jerusalem, he got lost. Or rather, they thought that he was lost. Family was probably traveling in an entourage. Several, several families would travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover time. And so when the Passover feast was over, and they were finished with all the things they needed to do at Passover, they went back towards home. 
And they assumed, I would suppose, that Jesus was in the company uh, somewhere in the back there with the other children and he was playing or whatever he might do. But as they got about a day into the journey, they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. He's missing. And you can imagine the panic that arose in Mary's heart. I mean, you ever lost a child at the mall, you know what that's like. So her heart was probably beating a thousand times for a minute, uh, a minute because her good son, and I literally mean that, her good son, her good son was lost. And so they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. And they found him being questioned by the rabbis at the temple. Now Luke 2.48 says, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not? Or didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Now hold on to that for just a minute, because he's not talking about Joseph. Not Joseph. Now go down to verse number 51. And he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was subject to his parents. He was submissive. He obeyed them. Now verse 52 in that original language, carries with it the meaning that he never stopped obeying them. He increased in wisdom. He was favorable with God and man. And so that tells us for sure that Jesus was not going to be taken to the elders to be stoned. Though he had all power over heaven and earth, he was the perfect model of obedience to his parents. Now let me show you how he modeled this commandment as a bridge between these two tables of the law. His relationship man to man was absolutely perfect, and he connected to the first table of the law. The relationship with man is the second table. He connected to the first table of the law through his obedience as a divine son. So that's next, the obedience of the divine son. He said, I must be about my father's business. Now, the Father is God the Father. He honored his heavenly Father in the first table of the law. Verse number 8 of Hebrews 5, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, that is such a remarkable scripture. He learned obedience. He demonstrated that by subjecting himself to the Father's commands, and he kept all of them perfectly. And doing so, the Bible says he became the author of eternal salvation for us. Did I tell you that obedience helped you to live longer? And what did the obedience of Jesus do? It caused his Father to raise him from the dead, to restore him to life, eternal life. And that's because he obeyed perfectly. And so he was able to claim this promise in John 17. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus was taken back up into glory because he did everything that the Father told him to do. Now, I want you to get this, that because of his obedience... He was able to call on the Heavenly Father to faithfully fulfill all the promises that were made to him. Those promises 
are no good without the obedience. And that's something that we have to learn. You read these promises that are in the Bible, well, they come with, with, with a condition attached to them. Prosperity in the land for Israel and prosperity for us is dependent upon our obedience to God. So Jesus was perfectly obedient and therefore he could claim every promise that God made. And one of the greatest promises that God made refers to you and me. Now, Jesus said that there are some that are given to him by the Father. And he claimed the promise through his obedience. And so he says, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Promises are fulfilled because of obedience. The condition attached is obedience. His one purpose was this. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. John six thirty eight. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Whenever you see Jesus in Scripture, his name equals obedience. It's always obedience. And so the fifth commandment was kept by the human son. The boy, Jesus, honored Joseph and Mary, and it was kept by the divine son as he honored God as his father. And so we see then, in our conclusion, that the first and second tables of the law are joined together in the person of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go here, you're going to see Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament, commandments, stories of the Bible, it all comes back to Jesus Christ. And in his person, the perfect son, in both human and godly relationships, in, in, in divine relationship, he brought the law perfectly together. He fulfilled it all. He knits it together in his own person. Now, let me leave you with this thought today. And that is that his obedience was for us. We're not able to keep this commandment perfectly. We never will be able to. America, in no sense, it doesn't look like, is keeping this commandment. But Jesus kept it so that we wouldn't have to die from those failures. We wouldn't die from the failure of being able to keep everything that he says in perfect obedience. His promise is life in the land. We're going to live long and prosper, not because of our obedience, but because of his perfect obedience. And all of this is given to us as an example for us that we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. When you think about the blessings that are secured for us, isn't that enough to cause us to want to walk after him, to walk in his footsteps, to follow him always, to be obedient to him? This is the gist of his commandments. So we ask, would you be willing to obey this fifth commandment because of what Christ did for you? Honor God and honor your parents. There's no substitute for this. These two submissions to authority make up the whole list of what you are to do as God's people. So here's how we're going to make America great again. Go back to the fifth commandment. Go back to honoring the fifth commandment because there the promise is contained. Obey this. Honor your father and your mother. And of course, that teaches us to honor God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessed word. Lord, what truths that are found here 
Obedience to the Word is the only way that we're going to solve the problems that we have. And we know, Lord, that that perfect obedience can only be ours and claimed by us by our faith in Jesus Christ. There is no person here that could say that any of these promises are for them if they haven't put their faith in you. You're the one who fulfilled this for us. We know that we can't keep it perfectly, which is exactly what you require. So, Lord, help us to have faith. May your Holy Spirit convict our hearts to have faith in Jesus Christ. Here is the answer to all the problems that we face in all of our lives, here in America and across the world. Help us to give the message of Jesus Christ, especially in this season of the year. Jesus came to bring us life, and that life comes through his perfect obedience. Now help us to obey as he obeyed. Be with us, Lord. Bless us in this time as we close out this, this commandment today. Help us to honor you in all ways that you tell us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For these many weeks, we've been talking about commandments. We've just now completed five. Five more to go. Well, notice that after the commandments are given, the, the narrative moves into sacrifice. And that's because the law was given and God knew Israel was not going to be able to keep it perfectly. He knows that you can't keep it perfectly. And so thereby... There's not a one in this congregation today that says, you know, I'm going to make it to heaven because I'm so good, because I can keep commandments really, really well. That's not the basis for it. The basis came next. Sacrifice, the atonement that's made because of our imperfections. That's why we have to believe in Jesus Christ. He was perfect for us. All that we can do is the best that we can do as we're enabled by the Holy Spirit. And we serve him out of the love that we have for what Christ did for us and ransoming us by paying the payment for our sin. And as Christians, what we, have to, we must do in order to receive continual blessings of, of, of God in our lives, recognizing those blessings and living happy, fulfilled, successful Christian lives, is to stick to that obedience that God commands. You can't get around these things. We've got to be what God wants us to be honor him in keeping the commandments not a one of them will ever make us righteous with god not one but every one of them obedient obedience to every one of them shows that we love god show that you love god he said if you love me didn't he jesus said if you love me keep my commandments don't ever say that you're a christian a good christian if you don't keep the commandments that's what we strive for know this if you if if you have difficulties with all this, you know that you're a failure, you know that you've sinned, and you should know this. The only one that has the answer to all of that is Jesus Christ. Faith in him is what conquers the sin that's in your life and relieves you, saves you from the penalty of it. Trust him. He gave his life so that you could live. Let's sing one more verse of our song. If God's spoken to you in some way, people in the back, in the front, any, anywhere you want to go after service, we're happy to talk to you about the gospel of Christ. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org